Hey, welcome to Whitewater. If you're new here, uh, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, we like to say this is a place you can belong before you believe. That means you can build friendships, you can explore faith before ever believing what I believe um, or our church believes. We just want um, you to find friendships and to move forward in your spiritual journey. So how many of you guys have been able to take advantage of the meat? We've got a whole team of meat people. I mean, they're just bringing it in. Make sure you grab some meat. This is Father's Day. We're really trying to celebrate that in craft style. We've got ginger beer. A guy came up to me and says, where is the ginger beer? I said, it's right there. He's like, see, we gingers got to stick together. He had red hair and he went and got it. Um, but we're so glad you're here. Um, so I got early gifts for Father's Day this year. I got two early gifts, actually. I'm going to share one with you now, and I'll share another in a, in a few moments. Uh, but the, one of the, the first gifts I got was I went and picked up my son from his crib, uh, on Friday morning. Uh, Friday I have the kids. Uh, Sarah goes to, uh, Puyallup High School and teaches, and that's my day off, so I have the kids. So I went and picked him up, uh, early morning, cause he was crying, and I went in there and I said, hi, Wes! And Novella, my five-year-old girl, uh, little girl, followed me in. She's kind of like sleepy-eyed. I said, hi, Wes, and he looked up and he goes, hi, dad. He's, and he's eight. No, I'm just kidding. He's like, <laughs> he's, he's nine months old. And I was like, what? Did you hear that? And Novella was like, did you hear that? He said, hi, dad. I was like, you have to tell your mom. You were the witness. So Sarah, <laughs> Sarah gets home later. I'm like, you're not going to believe this. I walked into Westrooms. I said, I said, hi, Wes. And he looked at me and he said, hi, dad. And she's like, no, no, he didn't. And Novella's like, yeah, mommy did. She's like, no, dad's paying you in food or candy to say that. And uh, I'm like, no, he really did. And she's like, okay, let's see. And I was like, looked over at Wes, and he looked over at me, and I said, say hi, Wes. And he just went like this. <laughs> say hi, Dad, Wes. Just smiled. Nothing. She's like, uh-huh, and walked out of the room. And then he looked over at me, and he said, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> he really did say hi, Dad. I'm not lying on that one. Um... So I, I want to jump into uh, our talk for today, and this is this is going to be addressed to everybody in the room. But I want to take some time to really pinpoint uh, the heart of of men that are in this room. And so, ladies, if if you would allow me just to have some moments where I can sp- I can talk directly to men, this is for everybody. And I think when you kind of raise the tide in the hearts of men, it raises uh, the tide for everybody because men in our culture have a, a lot of influence and impact. Uh, and unfortunately that can be used for good and wrong, right? And so I would like to speak directly to the hearts of men at certain points in this. Uh, but here's, here's the issue I want to discuss. When Jesus entered the scene, when he started his ministry, um, he was entering a world that was like just torn apart. The Roman Empire had subjugated, you know, just many, many different types of uh, ethnic people. Um, the Jews being among them and the uh, the Jewish uh, nation of, of Israel was just this little area in the Mediterranean and they had no power and they had lost their ability to make most of their own decisions and they were very strong in their beliefs, stronger than most of the other nations in their in their religious beliefs. And there had been, um, there had been uh, revolt and rebellions and the and the Romans would always would just would just stamp those things down. And so Jesus entered this world where politically and socially there was a lot of there was a lot of upheaval and there was a lot of polarization. Uh, he entered a world where people uh, were were 
had lost power, and so they were trying to regain power through any means, political power, religious power, financial power, uh, uh, even power through violence and warfare and rebellion. So there was just this turmoil that he entered, and, and he, he was in a culture where uh, where men um, viewed women as property, and there was uh, slavery was the norm, and and it was just... A world that in some ways was very similar, in some ways was very different. But into this world he comes and Jesus started his ministry not with the religious elite, not with like the, the, the political powers that be, not with the, the people who are super, super wealthy. He didn't just pander to them. Jesus went around and started healing and teaching and loving people and telling about the good news of the kingdom of God, that God's, God's world was breaking into this messed up world. His goodness was being, um, displayed and and he started calling ordinary people to follow him how many of you guys know this just ordinary i mean in his disciples he started calling out businessmen men who were just fishermen their their livelihood was well, they were they fished on a daily basis that was how they made ends meet there were there was a political zealot you know someone who was like who had been part of a lot of political uprising type of things and there was ta- a tax collector on his team and uh, a, a guy who was about serving the roman empire and was disliked by everybody else and and they, he had he, he had women that were on his team that in that society were seen like their test testimony wouldn't even be held up in, in many courts in that day and age. And Jesus was taking like just these ordinary and even subordinary people and he was starting a movement that would do extraordinary things. Uh, a guy named Rodney Stark, uh, who's a kind of a social scientist, um, writes about the transformation of the church, that this little movement that started in Galilee with this rabbi named Jesus who was doing things totally different than the rabbis of his day and age, started this movement that hundreds of years later became the dominant religion in the Roman Empire. The the empire that was trying to uh, control the the nations like the Jews ended up having such a huge influence of Christianity that they adopted it as their as their national or their you know international religion. There were uh, this movement that started with fishermen and tax collectors and and um, and people who had been possessed by demons and like just the ordinary people of of the world it turned into this movement where people who were running from the plague saw christians turning and helping those who had the plague where people who were running away from warfare there were christians all of a sudden going toward the warfare to help and to heal and it was this movement of love that jesus started so my question today is how did jesus uh, spark a movement that went from just a few, like, very ordinary, common people to be something that is still alive and transforming lives today. How did it move from just a few people to thousands and millions of people who have been impacted by the love of God? And, uh, the way I want to talk to you guys about this, uh, I think there's there's a few things that I think Jesus did, and I think that when we look at it, there's a lot of stuff you can pull up. But if I could, if I could give you a pathway, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you these two things we're gonna cover. I'm gonna, I wanna explain to you how the, um, the pit barrel smoker was part of Jesus' brilliant plan for making disciples that would change the world. And, uh, let's see, uh, Lee, would you help me for a moment? Would you grab this, uh, whiteboard real quick and, and hand that to me? And I want to show you how one simple statement 
help transform the Mediterranean world at that time. Thank you so much, Lee. Okay, so you guys, pit barrel, smoker, and then uh, this. Thank you so much. And uh, here's the phrase that I think has such a huge impact on making on changing ordinary people that can then change the world. Just a few simple letters. I C N U. I C N U. We'll come back to that. So um it says in Acts 17, the movement of the church had built so much that it says these men have turned the world upside down. How do you go from just one man, Jesus, to turning the world upside down? Um, the second early uh, gift I got this year was this pit barrel smoker. Have you guys heard of these things, these bad boys? These things, I was introduced to this by a friend named Keith. He's like the, the barbecue master. He, he introduced me to this and it's amazing. It's like I can't mess things up. I made ribs for an early Father's Day for my dad on Thursday night because we, we both are, uh, our pastors and we're both teaching on Sunday. So we said, let's have our, uh, an early Father's Day. So I made ribs. He doesn't normally like ribs. These ribs were so good. It wasn't like my doing. It was because I was discipled in the ways of the barbecue. <laughs> And this barbecue is really unique. It has a way, like you put, you put your, 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 um, coals and you put, um, maybe a little bit of, of hickory or applewood or, um, any, whatever your favorite kind of smoked flavor is and you put it in with the coals and you, and you heat those babies up. And slowly this thing begins heating up. And as it begins heating up, the heat starts circulating in this. And what you do is you then hang meat, whether it's ribs or a brisket. If you're a vegetarian, I mean, you could hang a potato or a yam. I don't, you can hang one of those things in there and you let it set, not for an hour, not for two hours, Maybe three, but if it's going to be really good, I would suggest going four, because I like it just falling off the bone. How many of you guys like it? How many of you guys like it falling off the bone? Yeah? You good? How many of you guys like it crunchy, a little bit bloody? <laughs> There's a, a few of you guys back here. So you put that meat in there, and slowly the heat turns up hotter and hotter and hotter until it gets to just the right heat, and then it just, the juices as it's hanging, the juices fall down off that meat or that yam, and and then it smokes back up and gives more flavor to the meat from itself. It's amazing. I'm not trying to, I don't want you know anybody to go buy this thing after my sermon. I'm just saying, this thing is amazing. And uh, when you look at the way Jesus made disciples, Jesus was always constantly turning up the heat on people. And his disciples uh, started following him. He started really simply. But he knew if you're going to make some good ribs, you've got to turn up the heat slowly but surely. If you're going to make some good disciples, you've got to slowly turn up the heat. Meaning he, he would allow people to come belong as they believed, Right? They could start at a level that made sense. They could start at a, at a level with Jesus where they could just experience him. And then he slowly turned up the heat of commitment. And he gave them a vision of, of somebody they could be, but they, like, they couldn't be on their own. They had to follow him. They had to learn from the Father how to become the person they always wanted to be. 
And there was this heat principle, okay? Can you keep that in your mind? As we, as we think of the heat principle, I want to read uh, through some of the levels of heat that Jesus brings his disciples into to create world changers. And so the first level of heat is the, and this is on your notes, you might want to take those notes. It says Jesus, um, he, would get, he would give the invitation to come and see. And in fact, uh, here we go, in our, in our first verse it says, um, Jesus looked around and saw them following. This is some new disciples who wanted to see what was going on with them. And he says, what do you want? He asked them, what do you want? And they replied, geez, Jesus, we just want to follow you. No, they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, we, where are you staying? They're interested to know more about him. Uh, I don't think they're ready to commit their lives to him yet, but they want to know more about him. So Jesus says in verse 39, what does he say? Come and see. Come and see where I'm staying. Come and see my life. Come and see what I'm doing. And it, it was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went uh, with him to, to the place where he was staying and they remained with him the rest of the day. And Jesus said, come and see. This is amazing. Like the, the, This is one of the coolest things about Jesus. The, the rabbis of this day and age were always calling people from like zero to a hundred. Like you had to jump from here all the way to here. I mean, you had to be, you had to have everything perfect, language, the way you looked, the way you dressed, the way you prayed, the way you gave uh, um, tithes and offerings in this day and age, the way you... Um, the way you interacted with people, everything, it was just high bar immediately. And Jesus comes and these people here, he's doing incredible things. And they're like, how do we jump onto this? How, how perfect do we have to be to be part of his movement? And he just says, hey, come watch, come, come see, come check this out. As a church, we want to be a church where people can come see. They can come be welcome. They can come belong. They can come and just experience Jesus. They can experience community before having to make any commi- commitment. If this is your first time here, or you, maybe this is like the first time in a church building in a long time for you, like, we don't want any commitment from you other than just come see, come experience Jesus and see if this is for you. Can I get an amen? Is that cool? I think that's... I love that. And the disciples got to walk with Jesus. They got to see him do this miracle where he like turned water into wine. I mean, we're having craft drink here. Jesus was a craft drink maker. They got to see him feed the 5,000. Well, that's, that's, that's pretty miraculous. That's pretty cool. You know, they got people that followed him around. They saw him heal people, cast demons out. Wow, this seems to be more real than I thought. You know, like this is kind of crazy. Wow. They got to see Jesus, uh, protect, uh, people and love people. And, and teach people a new way of thinking, a new way of living. They got to come and see. But he didn't stop there. He moved on to the, an, another step, which is come and doubt. Come and doubt. You might want to put that in your no, notes. Uh, there's, a, there's a Pharisee named Nicodemus here in John chapter 3. It says, there was a man from the Pharisees, religious sect, named Nicodemus. And he was a ruler of the Jews. So this is a big time leader. And it says this about him. This is kind of funny. This man came to him, to Jesus, wanting to talk with Jesus, have a conversation with Jesus as leader to leader, man to man. He wanted to come talk to Jesus at night. He was afraid for people to see that he as a leader was interested in the ways of Jesus. Because many in his religious sect did not like Jesus. How many of you guys know that Pharisees, many of them struggled with Jesus? 
So he comes to him at night. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. Like, even the other guys, they'll acknowledge it in front of me. They would never say it in front of you, ever. Because they don't like you. But they, we acknowledge that you're from God. For no one could perform these signs that you do unless God were with them. No one could heal the blind and the deaf and the lame. And no one could cast demons out. Like, I fully recognize God's power is at working. But I just can't say it in front of anybody as they speak. In the, in the secrecy of the night. Jesus replied to him, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born again? Said Nicodemus. Can, can he enter, to, enter his mother's womb? He's very literal. Uh, very literal Pharisee. Verse 10. Are you a teacher of Israel and don't, and, and don't know these things? Jesus said like, Jesus is saying, you are a teacher and a leader, and I'm speaking to you in spiritual and heavenly terms, and you think I'm talking about like physical, earthly things. How are you, how did you become a teacher again? How did this happen? He goes on to say, if I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? But here's the thing I love. Jesus is willing to meet with the, the, the biggest leader, with the biggest, like, the biggest, most amazing religious life that looks great to everybody else, but this guy has secret doubts about his life. And Jesus is willing to meet with him even at night because he's afraid to meet with him during the day. How many of you guys have had doubts about your faith? Just a few of us. I'm one of you. How many of you guys have had doubts about approaching faith if you don't yet believe? Jesus wants you to bring your doubts to him. He says, come, bring your doubts. Nicodemus, come bring your doubts. Come share with me. And he's like, and he starts talking to him. You, all you see is like this physical, like temporary earthly reality. And he's like, you have to be reborn so that you can start seeing eternal kingdom things. And I would even say if there's atheists here, one of the transitions that happens when you become a Christian is you go from just seeing the material as the only thing to seeing that all there's there is spiritual realities behind this stuff that are more powerful, more long-lasting, more impactful than just the material things that you can look at in a microscope. I, in the last three months, I've had two friends that were atheists that came forward and they were like, I have some doubts. I don't want to offend you. I'm like, why would you think you're offending me? And I think it's because there's, there are religious cultures that create this fear of ever bringing your doubts into the light. I grew up in a culture like that. There were, uh, there were people that I grew up with in church that like you could never share your doubts with. Cause if you, if you doubted, that was like, that was like the worst thing. Are you really a Christian? So all these people eventually started just holding in their doubts because they saw others getting hammered for their doubts. And so they kept their doubts. The doubts didn't go away, but they just kept them secretly. And Jesus, he creates this culture where we can bring our doubts to him. We can bring our doubts to him. Isn't that amazing? I don't, I don't, this, I wasn't planning on talking about this. I had a friend uh, who said, hey, can I set up an appointment with you? It needs to be in my office. It needs to be kind of secret. I'm like, what's going on? It's like witness protection program. He's like, no, a friend needs to meet with you. And he's like, um, he's Mormon. And if anybody finds out he's meeting with a pastor, it's going to have major ramifications for his family and his work. And he's just really worried about that. And I wasn't like, no, you know, I only meet people in the open. And if they're unafraid and like they've got, they're full of faith, like I won't meet. No, Jesus was willing to meet with Nicodemus and anybody who had doubts. 
And so I remember meeting with him and he was able to express like, here's where I'm having doubts. I could never say this out loud, but here's what I'm struggling with. And I see God at work in this and I, I'm struggling with this. And we also started working things out. Friends, bring your doubts to Jesus. Come and bring your doubts. And see, Jesus is slowly turning up the heat in our lives when he, he says, come and see, come and doubt. And the next one is come and follow As he passed alongside the Sea of Galilee, this is Mark chapter 1, he saw Simon and Andrew and Simon's brother casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, says Jesus to them. He says, follow me. And we imagine that this is after they've they've heard and witnessed some of the things Jesus is doing, and now he's selecting. uh, Most scholars don't think that Jesus was just walking by and said, follow me like a Jedi, and they were like, sorry, Father, we must leave you. No, no, this had been over a season and Jesus had seen them, gotten to, and he was looking at the potential disciples he had and he chose these young men and he said, follow me and I will make uh, you fishers of men. I'll make you fish for people. Your, your job, you think your, your primary vocation, your primary purpose is to catch fish with your life? I have something, I'm going to take you on a deeper level. You are going to become a fisher of men, of people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, uh, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, putting their nets in order. And immediately he called them as well. And they, they left their father Zebedee in, in a boat. <laughs> can you imagine being their father? Hey, where are you? Jesus, no! Okay, fine. You can go with him. They left Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They left their family. They left their family business to enter a new family business. Jesus said, come and follow. And this is a really point, you know, like we talk about turning up the heat. This is a moment where the heat gets turned up a little bit hotter um, than just come and see, come and doubt, come and experience. This is like come and like, like put some skin in the game. Come and like start changing your life and fall, like actually follow me. Say, start saying no to some things and start saying yes to me. And, and he turns the heat up a little hotter. And in this day and age, the definition of a disciple was someone who followed in the footsteps of their rabbi their teacher and and there were sayings like like may you follow in the dust of your rabbi may you be covered in the dust because you're following so closely the life of your teacher and and they were chosen to be the pupils that's what disciple mean a pupil a learner an apprentice uh someone who is learning from a master and they are called out to be disciples of jesus how many of you guys have felt the call of jesus in your life and begun to follow him. That's what a disciple is. They're learning to be like the master, be like Jesus. And Jesus was teaching, you know, totally different. Don't just, don't just ignore your enemies, love your enemies. You know, like, uh, uh, when, when you pray, don't pray real loud and try to impress people. Pray from your heart and say, Heavenly Father, and bring the power and the reality of the character of the Father into your life. Now, Jesus started calling them to something greater than they had ever known. And this meant, just in case you didn't know Jewish culture, the disciples that Jesus is calling out are the disciples that none of the rabbis wanted. See, they had gone to school, they had learned the Torah, the Old Testament, they had, they had studied as children, and the other guys 
who did better on the tests, who did better on like the perfect life or whatever you needed to have. The other guys passed the test and they didn't. And so they were failures. They were failures in disciple school. And so they were catching fish and they were, uh, you know, businessmen. And Matthew or Levi was his other name, uh, was a, a tax collector. All the people that Jesus called to himself didn't pass the Pharisee test. They weren't good enough to be disciples of a, of a rabbi. And yet Jesus comes to them and says, I see something in you. I think this is one of the most important moments where Jesus takes a movement that started with him and a few crazy people and begins turning into a movement that changes the world. And here's, here's, here's what I, I think it is. Jesus looked at the disciples and said, I see in you. Have any of you had a mentor or a father, father figure, mother, mother figure, someone that you respect look into your life when you didn't feel all that special and they look at you and they say, hey, I see in you. There's a few people going, oh, it's not just letters. I see something in you. You might not see this in yourself. You might not know it's there, but I see this and they call the greatness out of that person. They call some greatness out of you. How many of you have had a mentor call some greatness out of you that you didn't even know was there? I see in you. Those conversations, Jesus has this conversation with his disciples, come follow me, I see something in you. The Pharisees didn't see, the other rabbis didn't see, the other, the Sadducees, the Essenes, these other religious sects at the time, they I see something in you that you don't see and others don't see, but I'm going to call it out. But you need to come because Jesus knows you got to turn up the heat to get some good ribs. You got to start turning up the heat and have some vision for some people's lives if you're going to make some disciples that can be changed people that can change the world. Amen? So come and follow. There's... Um, there's a story that just struck out to me. I'm going to, I'm going to share this with you. Um, there's a story that struck out to me. This is back in the 80s. Um, there was a teacher uh, named uh, Jamie Escalante. Have you guys ever heard of him? Many people haven't. He uh, taught at Garfield down in L.A. It was a, a school that was known for more uh, gang and, uh, and problems in their community, problems with graduation rates. They were having all sorts of issues. And uh, this guy comes in and he began teaching math. And um, in 1976, he started. In 1982, um, he came into the spotlight with 18 of his students because they passed the challenging advanced placement calculus exam. And they'd never seen someone from one of the, the, the schools that were in this, I think, East L.A. area. They'd never seen that many kids come in and pass uh, a major uh, AP test. Uh, and it says that he had been teaching his students calculus at Garfield High in East Los Angeles. And um, the education testing service found that the scores seemed suspicious because they had struggled on a similar problem and they just couldn't believe that some people from that high school could get these test results. They just couldn't believe it. And so they, uh, they called it out and they thought it was suspicious. And um, so they asked them to, to, uh, to take the test again. And, and uh, a bu- I think about 14 of the kids 
decided to take it again and they, and they did so well on it that all of them were granted the pass on it. And people just couldn't believe that these kids from that background could pass this test. I think this is so incredible. Um, in 1983, the year after 82, where like all these kids started passing and people were like, where did this come from? 83, the number of students enrolling and passing the calculus test uh, more than doubled. That year, 33 students took the exam and 30 passed. And that year, he started teaching calculus at East Los Angeles College. By 1987, 73 students had passed the AB version of the exam and another 12 passed the BC version. Uh, th- th- this had never been seen before in this area, in these schools with kids with these. This, these backgrounds. I just think it's unbelievable. The height of Escalante's influence as a teacher. Um, Garfield graduates, graduates were entering the University of Southern California, USC, uh, in such great numbers that it outnumbered all the other high schools in the working class East Los, An- Los Angeles area combined. Even students who failed the AP often went on to become star students at California State University or Los Angeles or wherever they went. They still went and performed and became amazing students. So how'd this happen? Shortly after uh, Escalante had come to Garfield, uh, he, had, he was threatened. Instead of gearing classes to poorly performing students, which, which is what the, the administration wanted him to do to kind of lower the levels of classes, he raised the levels and he made people angry. He, uh, he made the principal angry because at times he wouldn't let students into his classroom unless they had done his homework because he was a teacher that wanted to turn up the heat. He didn't want to just let people go into the vision that the world had created for them. He wanted to call a vision out of them. He began having conversations that said, I see in you. He began saying, like, if you take this class, you will become the best students in the universities you go to. You will get into university. You will become uh, electricians. You will become physicists. You will become what you never thought you could become if you let me teach you math and it becomes your new language. Isn't that unbelievable? He began turning up the heat and he had the I see in you conversation I wonder how many of us sitting here today have been having the heat turned up in our life and we've wanted to give up is it possible that the heat being turned up like it is in this room (laughs) is God actually trying to help you become something you never thought you could be because I think Jesus knew to create world changers, you have to turn up the heat. You have to help them see vision. Are you running from the heat or are you embracing it? Are you letting it change you? Are you, are you letting God speak into your life vision for what could and should be? Let me ask you another question. Are there people that God has put in your life that he wants you to begin turning up the heat and helping them see more, calling them from come and see, come and doubt, to come and follow? And Jesus also takes people to come and die. He says, if anyone would follow me, they have to deny themselves and and pick up their cross daily and say no to something in their own life so they can say yes to me. You have to come and something or some parts of you have to begin to die so something new can start living in you so that you can start embracing the I see in you conversation and embracing maybe a dream that God has given to you. I want to ask the question, has God put people in your life that he wants you to start turning up the heat and calling uh, to greatness, start having conversations that you see in them? 
something. Guys, this is how God makes world changers. I want to finish with this thought. I want to finish with this thought. And then we can go about our day. We can go about our Father's Day. Um, there are a lot of fathers um, in our world and father figures. And you need to know, fathers, how big of an impact you can have. In fact, you will have a big impact whether you know it or not. I was talking with my friend Brandon yesterday. Weren't we talking? Our kids were playing soccer and my friend Brandon has lost his father. It's been a, a year and a few months. And it was, we were talking, I was, I was looking, I was like, man, both me and you, we were so fortunate to have good dads. Not perfect dads, but good dads. Because they had this conversation with us. They would, I see in you, and they wouldn't let us settle for something less. And they would turn up the heat in our life, even when it was hard. And they would start really easy with us. But when it was time to get going, they would, they would push us. And, and we were talking about how many people don't have father figures in their life that call the greatness out of them, that believe in them, that turn up the heat in their life and call them and invite them to something greater. And there are people that are walking around with bitterness, hurt, and anger, and frustration because the father figures in their life and the people in their life haven't poured into them. And they've, they've allowed that to define who they, who they are. And what I want to ask you today is to allow the father, the true father, the creator of the heavens and the earth, to have an I see in you moment with you today. That wherever you're at, that he is calling you to something greater, to something that's more. Something that is inside of you that he is going to awaken and that he is going to complete. You can't do it without him. Don't hear me saying, you can just go accomplish your dreams and just do it all on your own. You can't do any of this stuff without Jesus. You can't do any of this without God's power at work in your life. You, you hear me? You need God. Just like my daughter needed me at one point to help her walk. My son right now, he's learning how to walk. He needs. He can't walk without my help right now. He needs my help. So we need the Father's help in our, our life as he calls us to become maybe what we never thought we could be. My, um, my encouragement is this, fathers, is to be like Jesus. Jesus called greatness out of people. Jesus protected the ones who didn't have protection. You remember when Jesus protected that woman who was caught in adultery and they brought this woman to Jesus? They didn't bring the man, they brought the woman and they said, we got a stone or what do you think, Jesus? And Jesus said, hey, the one without sin, throw the first stone. And none of them did a thing. They just dropped their stones and walked away. And Jesus protected her. And Jesus empowered her. And Jesus, like, he would always help those who were needing help. And he would empower those who needed power. And in our day and age, friends, where there has been a lot of stuff that's been brought out of the dark into the light about how men have mishandled power, we need to be a church of disciples who follow Jesus and we actually come and not only follow him, but we come and die to ourselves and we die to what the world says we should do with power and we say, no, 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 I'm going to be a protector of women and children and those who need protection. I'm going to empower women and children children and those who don't have anybody empowering them. And even if I didn't have the father figure that I wanted, I am going to be that father figure or mother figure, whatever that mentor is. I am going to be that for somebody else. Come on. Can I get an amen? amen. This is the simple plan that Jesus had to change the world. He turns up the heat and he says, I see in you. So how many of you just, out of curiosity, 
have, be, have decided to follow Jesus? Just put your hands up. Keep your hands up for a second. How many of you guys at some point in your life have decided to start, you know, coming and see, like, is this for me? A few guys? How many of you guys have, keep your hands up, keep your hands up for a second. I want to see this. How many of you guys have um, decided in your heart of heart, I am going to give God everything? If you have not made that decision, I want to encourage you, you can put your hands down, to come and see, to come and doubt, to come and follow, and let God turn up the heat. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father God, we love you. We're so grateful for you. As we (laughs) drink craft drink and have smoked meet together and we celebrate father's day lord we remember you who are a true father and you are a father who takes children and you turn them into mature world changers god and may we be willing to listen to your voice may we be willing to step into the pressure to step into the challenge of discipleship and lord may we not stop there may we also invite others to become disciples may we become mentors to those who need a mentor may we be the ones who say i see in you and call the greatness out of people lord would you use our lives in jesus name amen